I'll be shooting and somebody sees my rifle and they come up and they're like, oh man, what are you shooting? And then you tell them. And the next thing out of their mouth is either what they're shooting and how flat it is, or they ask like, well, how flat is it? And yeah, I think it's just an interesting way to approach asking a question that implies specific things. So like, do you, do you remember when um, or how or why that became a question to ask for, you know, basically because it, it provides you with specific information about the caliber and bullet. Yeah. And it, it goes to sort of the, um, the, the advertised custom hunting stuff like those Lazzaronis and those speed demons. Cause those things were those high end, always advertised hunting rifles that were custom made. And they had that sort of proprietary cartridge that went along with it. And they were one that was super fast and flat. How flat are you? Are you flat? Cause I need it to be flat. So I don't have to hold anything. And it kind of goes back to, um, you know, when I was talking about the hunting guys that I met that don't dial, right? So they don't want to dial anything. So they just want to know how flat are you? Cause that's going to tell them, uh, how, you know, how far they can shoot without dialing anything. Now for like you and I, it says a metric ton of things. Like when somebody says, how flat are you? We can go into a whole list, but really the shortcut answer. And I'll jump back to you at the, is time of flight, right? Time of flight is, is a thing where, you know, you reduce the time of flight. The bullet doesn't go as high above the line of sight. You reduce the time of flight. That's less wind on the bullet. You reduce the time of flight. You know, all these things come into play with that so it gets translated again into flat mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting because it can cover a lot of subjects all at once but yet you don't know which one of those elements they might be asking about which which makes it a curious statement because a it is pretty informative and b you might you might be thinking about performance in a way that's different than somebody else where you're both looking for flat, but and, you know, yeah. the actual metric that you're thinking about might be something different. Like if you're thinking time of flight and I'm thinking point, you know, well, if I set my carbine zero at 50 meters, it goes, you know, it's also got a zero at, at yeah, 350 or wherever it is, 250, what, 350, something like that. Right. So, so it's like, all right, cool. Well, you know, uh, you know, a center, center mass impact is going to be a center mass impact out there also. And, and so, so you think like, okay, well, it's pretty flat. You've got this much space to work in with a carbine. Whereas right. If you're hunting, it's like, okay, well that tells you something about the, you could hold point blank and you can hold point blank and still hit the kill zone without having to dial. Right. Yeah. So, so it's fascinating. Um, I was going to say the other side of it too, and to kind of go down that rabbit hole as well. It it's the, it's not the last subcast I think we did. It might've been the one before where we were talking about cartridges, the 30 odd sixes and all this stuff. And like my mantra 
is that that light is right. You know, that a lighter bullet going faster. I like speed. I think speed is what wins. Um, you know, now we can start playing around and, and to me, the speed is differentiated by your cartridge, you know, where do you go with this caliber and what's considered a lighter bullet versus a heavier bullet? And to me, that goes to flat as well, because if I have speed, that gives me predictability. Cause if I'm super, the farther I push supersonic, the farther I'm more predictable, you know, cause once you transition to subsonic, you lose an element of predictability. So that's another reason to be flat. That's another reason why I want to be fast. Um, You know, so that kind of lends into that mindset as well. So the term you come, like you saying, how flat are you? That tells, that can go so many different ways and it says a ton. Yeah. I I like that thinking about the, um, the time element because Right. In, in reality, the things that are going to cause problems, they cause problems because they're exposed to them for longer. Right. Like the wind. If you know, if the bullet's exposed to wind for longer, it's going to it's going to deviate from its path. So the faster it gets there, the less opportunity other stuff has to cause problems in the decisions that you made. So, so I do I do like thinking about time of flight. And uh, I know we, you mentioned the light bullets all the time. And, and um, the only real test I've been able to do, which have positive results, just not like so many, but with the, with the 123 CNARs, um, and they shoot so damn good. It's unbelievable. And in a 6.5 Creedmoor with 123s, you know, getting those going 2,900 feet per second is really easy, like really easy. And, and that's faster, lighter, you know, than a six, five, but way faster than the six mils. Um, so ballistically you're, you're kind of in a performance zone that, that I'm surprised we don't hear more about competitors using. Yeah. Cause most people go with the weight in the straight wind number and they don't know to put the speed behind it because then it becomes it becomes less drop and drift anyway, but heavier is a higher BC, you know, cause weight gives that stability for that. But you know, the, the thing is, is out West here where we are, a 123 is not a great choice. You know, we'd want, I would rather a 136, a 139 in, in there because the wind we have, we have a, we have a lot of wind out here. Well, when you go, if I was shooting out east, if I was doing the southeast circuit, and if I had a 6.5 Creedmoor, I'd be shooting 123s all day because those guys don't have wind. And, and, you know, and I was, it was funny because I was talking to somebody uh, just the other day, they called me and they're looking at doing bullets and stuff. And like, they're like, you know, the 25 Creedmoor, I'm seeing a lot of really good stuff. And the only choice there is kind of the blackjacks. And they're hard to get. So there's people looking at that 25 Creed more. It's a balance of really fast speed, that bullet that they're looking for to get the win. So they're trying to bridge a weight versus speed balance. Well, 
the guy was like looking at it and he was talking about like a 132 grain for a 6.5. And I thought that was a great area to be working with around that 130, 132. Because the 130s in the 6.5 were absolutely like the prime load were my favorite load. Even with the burger and the 130 burger, that's one of my favorite loads for a 6.5 Creedmoor. So if I'm in a 130 and I'm doing really well with that, if I was back east, I'd be in that 123 all day. Gotcha. Yeah, I played around recently and and got a good load with the 136. Remember, I, I said like I threw everything out and I all I did was research the hide and 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 after finding like extensive posts and tests about load data, I averaged it all out, threw it in, and like it just shot it shot amazing. Like, you know, the, the 136 has a really high BC yes. for, for the weight. Um, it's, it's a you know, 140 class. It, it's a 140 class BC, but then being so much lighter, you can put the speed back into it. So getting 2850 out of a 136 is really easy to do. And you're maximizing all of that performance for that bullet. And then you're in a really middle safe zone for the cartridge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like the best of every world that's, that's mixed in there. I mean, I, I think that's part of the problem is we have such a huge variety and you have everybody playing a different kind of piece of that variety. And so it doesn't look like there's any rhyme or reason. It's like that guy's doing that successful. You know, you might have somebody out West that was shooting the 153s and they're doing really good with that. Then you got a guy over here shooting a 136 and he's doing really good with that. And then this guy's shooting 130s. He's doing good. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How can the 153, the 140 and the 130 all be successful? And it kind of is because... It's it's shot in different places by different people working them slightly different ways. But if we kind of broke down each person's success, we'd probably be able to see a pattern appear that's in a speed zone and how it plays with the BC. I bet you if we start running these numbers, your velocity versus what that would be a BC out of your rifle we're probably falling into a happy spot that's being camouflaged by everybody doing something slightly different. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And the only guy I know that shoots the, um, the 25 Creedmoor was uh, Colin Fawson, but, but he loved it. And, and, you know, he shot well at, you know, the matches that he shoots at. Um, and I just with- saw um, Matt Alwine um, uh, doing uh a load development with his and he shot like a, he shot a two inch group at a thousand yards with one he's just putting together. And he was like, he was blown away and he made a post on it. And and he was like, this was the most amazing group I've ever shot at a thousand yards. And he had like almost three rounds touching four rounds touching, whatever it was. And it was a thousand yards away and it was like three inches. Nice. <laughs> That's totally awesome. Yeah. yeah though, yeah, but but screwing around with the 136 because I mean I, I get a BC at the G7 I plugged in was was 0.285 for a 136, but the load yeah just just what you I mean you, you subconsciously kind of guessed the zone it was in the load just putting in the average you know with the powder that I had 
the brass that I had, it came out to 2860 and it had an SD of three. Um, so it was like, well, shit, this shoot's good. And, and, uh, and I was like, man, that, I mean, yeah, the, the way some of that stuff works out really well, but, but then, you know, to circle it back around, you know, if I, if I'm at, if I'm, uh, before I went out to, to shoot it at a distance, I was, I was at the range just getting a velocity and there was a family there and they were getting their equipment ready for a javelina hunt in Texas. And, and yeah, the, the dad said, uh, like, Oh man, I love the six, five Creedmoor. It's so flat, you know? And I thought, wow, that, 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 you know, so, so he kind of looked at my numbers for the ballistic calculator stuff and they were zero in like ARs and stuff to go, uh, shoot javelina. Pretty funny. Like when you, cause long time ago, six, five just comes out and I'm doing a private instruction at our range in behind the 800 yard target. That's to the right by the two trail. There's the alien that's there. Yeah. Right behind kind of where the alien is, but right where it starts to creep up that hill towards the nine. There, uh-huh. I used to have a target there and it was like an eight inch round and I think it was on a uh, one of the uh, the rebar racks, and it was a swinger, like an eight inch round swinger. So I had students, and it was eight fifty, we'll say. Well, I had students, and matter of fact, it's the guy who owns Treadproof and stuff, the uh, doctor, and he, him, and his son come for private instruction with three hundred eight AIs. They're old school one sixty eight three hundred eight AIs, and they're taking a class with me. So. At the time, I had my AI switch barrel and all that. So I bring it with the 308, and I had barrels in my car. Well, they're shooting that, and they're having a hard time hitting that 850 with their 308s. Like the the dead space, you know, the danger space there was coming in steep on them. It wasn't right, and they're just missing, like barely missing this plate. So I go over, grab my AI. I, I whip off my 308 barrel. I put on a 6.5 barrel. I shot like one round at 100 yards, made sure it was good. And then I transitioned right to that 850 uh, target, fired the first shot and nailed it. And then gave it to him and said, here, use my rifle, shoot that target with that and compare it to your 308. And they're like, hit, 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 hit. Every time with the 6.5, the 308, they're all around it. And that's where that flat comes into play because that 308 is coming up and down at 850 yards. It's right at that edge. And then the 6.5 is still fine. And then to kind of put a fine point on it, I took that same area, 800 to 850. I put a plate in front that was a 45% IPSC. And then I had the full size IPSC that was behind it. And with a 308, if you put your 800-yard dope on there and you shoot at the 8, it'll go over the one in front of it. So like 25 yards in front, I had the 45 percenter. So you shoot the 308, it goes over the plate in front and hits the plate behind. If you do that with the 6.5 Creedmoor, you're going to hit the plate in front. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's that danger space and it's all those things. And that's where flat comes into play is in that discussion of danger space. And what's the angle that bullet is coming into the target because that reduces the size of your target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. 
so that, that that's like an interesting thing to add to this um what um, yeah it's hard to know what how people are going to kind of track that but but danger space is absolutely vital and, and i think it does play right into the flatness and one one curiosity is that like a field shooter you you may not have an accurate range right you you may be plus or minus 10 yards let's say and that's not uncommon and in a lot of the field matches you know you pull out your range finders and and it'd be even worse if you were reticle ranging but but you pull out your range finders and you think you ping the target but you ping something behind it and sometimes it's worse than others if it's so bad you're like there's no way it's that far but sometimes it's close enough where you're like yeah that, that's realistic but if it's 10 yards back and a lot of our you know let's say this the 65 creedmoor in in that kind of competitive zone of you know, 400 yards to 900 yards, it's about a 10th of elevation per, uh, per 10 yards. Yeah. It's 10 right? to 10 to 10, right? To every uh, a 10th of a mil is 10 yards. You got 10 tenths in a mil. That's a hundred yards. It's every hundred yards between your seven and eight. It's a mil. Right. And so if you, you have a hundred target and you're yeah. off by 10 yards, you could miss it. Uh, you, you know, you realistically, you know, if you're off by 15 yards on your range, you could shoot over or under if, if it's a small target and, and that, but if you have a, a flatter gun where let's say, you know, it's, it's less, if it's a 10th per 20 yards, then, um, you've got more danger space to work in. Right. So that, yeah. that, uh, super beneficial in the field um, and, and in other applications, right? And, and um, because there's always going to be a little bit of uncertainty about range. I mean, and, and that's going to become more and more important the farther out you go. Um, and, I, and because I don't really shoot ELR, um, I haven't had to mess with with dangerous space issues there, but I imagine that that's something that's of, of, you know, absolute importance there because those targets, even though they're relatively big, come down at an angle and that angle is going to effectively make the target smaller. Do you want to explain how, you know, because people are hearing like it makes the target smaller and m yeah, maybe just kind of run it's through the look like angle. Yeah. It's your look angle. So basically the, the, the bullet is coming down on an angle and it only sees X amount of the target where if the bullet is rising up sort of flat and square with the target, you have the entire target to work with. So if the bullet really never rises above the top of the target, you have almost that entire target to work with. But if the bullet is rising really high in the air and now it's coming down in that last third, you know, your wind at you wind mid range and wind at the shooter. Well, after max ordinate, after that 600 yard, you know, kind of as it's coming back down to earth, that angle is cutting off what the target looks like. Right. Which is kind of mind blowing. Once you kind of, once, once that kind of registers, it's like, and then, and then all the crazy scenarios of like, well, you know, imagining like a sniper taking a shot through a window at, you know, some extended range. And then when you start thinking about it, the, 
the likelihood of being able to get the bullet at that angle becomes like increasingly less probable. And, uh, you know, I think Chris Roberts talked about like a shot that he thought was potentially not real in like the lore of sniping because of the size of the window, the distance, the danger space, and the fact that the guy was standing back from the window. Yeah. How did he get in? If he's that far away, you would have hit the top or you would have came in on an angle and not gone into the room that far. Right, right, right. But, but that's fascinating to think about actual applications at distance and uh, what you may have to account for or accommodate for. Um, I mean, it's when we started out shooting years ago, uh, 2001, it started uh, the Allegheny Sniper Challenge. And that match is a find it, range it, engage it, and it's really slow fire. So we all started doing our normal thing, 308s and stuff like that. Well, because this was an unknown distance UKD style match and you had to reticle range everything. So like you were talking about the error that's involved in reticle ranging. So an Allegheny match is you were only allowed to reticle range. Now, granted, they didn't move targets. So two years into it, you know where everything is and you know the ranges if you kept your paperwork. But it's reticle ranging only, so you have a bigger chance of missing due to ranging. Well, we switched to the seven wisdom. So all of us were shooting like team gap type stuff. We're all shooting seven wisdoms because one, we weren't shooting fast. Two, you know, there were only like a couple shots per stage and it was slow fire. And so the wisdom was as flat as we can get at the time. In something that was super high, short magnum, short action. So I have a short action seven wisdom in the in the safe right there that shot 175s at 2,900 feet per second even. So I had a load that was a 175 uh, going 2,900 feet per second, and that was my Allegheny gun. That's awesome. I think it's cool to have like a, a vent or or – use specific rifle like i, I kind of like that idea you know i mean i also like the idea of like one rifle to do everything with but then i really like the idea of like this is good this is for this match um you know loaded and and tricked out just for these particular applications like I, it kind of makes me want to design a stage for like a, a field match like a td kind of match where you know, you can pick the distance that you're going to shoot the target from, but the max distance, or the, the the farther you shoot it from, the more it's worth. But mm-hmm. you have to account for that. Like it's 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 under a zemo, or it's under something that'll you know check the rounds. If if the if the angle of is too steep, you're going to clip the top and you know, to the back of a long you're breaking up a little bit there. You're getting robotic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, that's kind of like why I like the Terminus. I think that would be freaking awesome. Oh, say that again. You're, you were breaking up and you're back now. Like, uh, like, uh, um, like imagine like uh, you put a target in the back of a 50-gallon drum that's laying down facing you. And, you know, people have to not only figure out where the farthest back they could shoot from, but but while maintaining, um, yeah. while, while keeping in mind that if they go back too far, their bullet's going to 
not be able to get through that tube to hit the target that they're shooting from. You know, because if it's like a, you know, if, if it's a two MOA target, people are going to say like, man, I'm going to shoot it for 1500 yards, but from 1500 yards, there's no way that you're going to be able to thread the bullet through the, through right. the drum. So that would yeah, be, didn't we do a stage at guardian where we had to shoot through the front target into the back one? Uh, they usually do the Ipsic with the center hole, like the eight inch, six inch hole in an Ipsic. And then they'll make you shoot through that with like a popper behind it. Didn't we do that at, at guardian in August? We did the shoot the two poppers down, shoot one popper down to hit the one behind it as like the team on the team day. Wasn't there by the ducks? Wasn't there the duck one? Wasn't there a hole? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There was a a square. It was a square loophole. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I I thought there was, but yeah, even that, that double shot was fun too, because you had to time it just right. You know, so the flatness in that to knock that first plate out of the way and then you shooting before the second one or before the first one came back up and knocked your bullet out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But imagine if it was like six yards or something like that, you know, where where all of a sudden... Yeah, you would have to do the math. So basically what you would do is you would take a 6.5 Creedmoor and say like a 140 burger, or not, not a burger, but a, like a Hornaday load with a 140 ELD match or something. Then you would say, okay, at 600 yards, I'm going to make a tunnel. How far can that, if I properly get that bullet right where I need it, how far back can I put another target where it'll hit and then go from there kind of thing and say, well, here's the, here's the mid zone we did it with this and then see what calibers can do it and what ones couldn't. Yeah. 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 You know, like that, that like, right. Not, not like a, 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 you know, a loophole kind of thing, but rather just like, the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, yeah, con- considering things. the fact that your target's set back from a, from a window or a tube or a tunnel, that, that would be pretty fun though. It would be a good mm-hmm. lesson. You know, mm-hmm. um, I have nothing to do with what we're talking about other than, well, I bet it, I mean, but it does a little bit is um, I still have it. I'm Is it IMR 2000 that you do your juggernaut load with? Yes. And I can't find uh, it. 2000 that, MR. Oh, it's 2000 MR. Oh, I don't think that's IMR. Is it? Yeah. It's a Alliant, I think. Um, I, I got a case. I got 500 juggernauts and I prepped up some 308 brass. And I'm waiting to find some, uh, waiting yeah. to find some powders. So I could load up all those 500 juggernauts because 185 is going 2700 is man that's so awesome yeah yeah 46 grains at 28 uh 2.830 but 26 grains or 46 grains rather it's right there and that'll put it right where you need it to be and it's a really accurate load and um it's great for a 185 uh 308 well i think this was a good uh this was a good kind of wrap our head around shooting flat. I, I like kind of some of these simple um, because, because a lot of things that people talk about, they're just, they imply so many things that are fun and either, you know, it or you don't, but sometimes it helps just to have to hear people talk around a subject and the things that it, that it could lead towards and the flat thing always comes up. And I, I you know, 
when we do, we use, we use a lot of unique terminology. So for some people who may not be knee deep with everybody and they're kind of out doing their own thing, but listening, you know, we say a lot of stuff that we all consider, well, you'll know what we mean, but like shooting flat, you know, there's a lot of terminology out there that has different meanings for different people. So it's good to talk around them for sure. This is where I jump in to say that if you go to rivalcraft.com and get a subscription, you get added metrics to your profile on the website, which can help you get better, more accurate information about your shooting that you could use to propel your training and understanding of your shooting forward. You get emails, subcoms, emails with training targets, ideas, and uh, product discounts as they come about. And you get access to another podcast just like this called The Subcast, where I continue to ask experts and talk about details just like the Riflecraft Straight Dope podcast, but there's more of it. So you get double the content. I try to be much more specific. So, um, you're just going to have to subscribe if you want more and don't, if you don't, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and they all cover the same topics. I've got my own style. If you like my style and you want more of it, that's a really good way to do it. You don't have to, but it sure helps promote and ensure that this podcast continues to operate the way it does. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. More content, more interviews, more specifics, more ideas for your training, and you're supporting it all as a subscriber with the benefits that come from it. So go check it out at riflecraft.com, get a subscription, and join the growing tribe of people who are trying to empower themselves by learning and experimenting and driving their skill and knowledge to the next level. Thank you.